You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. into the evening sky, piloting his own plane. Um, on his way, along with his wife and his sister-in-law, um, on what was supposed to be a very simple flight from New York to Massachusetts. But as you probably know, he never made it there. Though he was an experienced pilot, Kennedy was not instrument trained, which meant that he could only fly when he could see what was around him, when the horizon was not obscured, when the weather was good. And that evening, the weather was supposed to be good, but it was not, and unexpected clouds rolled in, and he could not see the horizon anymore. And so, since he had no point of reference, he fell victim to what's called spatial disorientation. And that's a condition in which a pilot loses his point of reference. And if he's going by his feelings, his feelings tell him that he's flying up when he's actually flying down. And because of that, Kennedy flew directly into the Atlantic Ocean, probably the entire time thinking that he was doing the right thing, following his feelings. As a counselor, I spend a lot of time with people who are in situations where the clouds have unexpectedly rolled in and obscured what would be their normal horizon. Because really, you know, that's unavoidable. That's life. You can check the weather. You can say, I'm fine with it. I'm ready. And you go up, and it changes, and you find out my horizon is missing. <coughs> then what do you do? How do you reorient yourself? It's really at those places where you're going to see where do I look when my life or somebody that I love, their life, is in a nosedive. And when we trust our own best thinking, we head in to a spiritual nosedive. And we become spiritually disoriented. Romans 8, 6 talks about it. It says, letting your sinful nature, that which feels right, control your mind will lead to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. I want to define peace for you. I'm going to call it congruence. What I mean by congruence is this. My inside, my inner desire of what I most deeply want to be matches my outside, my actions. That's congruence. When you feel strengthened and at peace, notice it's an inner condition. It has nothing to do with what's outside of you. In order to live congruent lives, we have to become instrument trained. We have to learn to live by what is true and not by what feels true in the moment. Now at the point of conversion, you actually became instrument trained. You had, at the point of conversion, the instruments placed in you in the form of a new heart, which gave you, number one, a new desire. Your deepest desire now, I'm not saying the one you live out. I'm saying your deepest <laughs> desire now is to glorify God by the way you respond to each and every moment that he allows into your life. Let me say that again. 
In case for you that feels a little bit like somebody saying to me that you're a size 5 true blonde, this is your true desire. <laughs> I'm saying to you, not based upon the fact that I know you, but based upon what the scripture says, Ezekiel 36, 26, that's the new covenant, the great exchange, where I am told that what happened to me was that I received a new heart. Not because of what I did. You don't know about my new heart necessarily by what I do, but because of what the scripture says is true of me. And what the scripture says is true of me is now my deepest desire, the way that I am now designed, is that my greatest, greatest joy, my greatest passion, is to glorify God, to make him bigger, by the way that I respond to whatever it is that he chooses to allow in my life, moment by moment by moment. That is your greatest desire. Now here's the thing, here's the thing. Post-fall, we now have a flesh desire as well. And the flesh desire is still there. But the flesh desire does not define nor change who I am any more than the fact that I am designed, I hear, for clean eating. I don't exactly know what that is, but I know you get it at Whole Foods and it costs a whole lot more money than junk eating. But you are designed for clean eating. You still have an appetite, maybe not you, I still have an appetite for as much fat, sugar, and preservatives and anything white that I can possibly have in my body. If I'm waiting at the line at Dairy Queen for my blizzard, and you say, Julie, remember, this is not really what you're designed for. This isn't really what you want. I would say, through slit eyes and red teeth, oh yes, this is exactly what I want. And this is who I am. And you see, I believe in that moment that my appetite defines my deep desire and my appetite is who I am. And if that is true, then why, within 30 minutes afterwards, is my design speaking back to me, saying, no, this is not what you were designed for. And then it also causes, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but an abnormal swelling Right around here, here causes the swelling because, in fact, though I have an appetite for lesser things, I am not designed for them. And though I can indulge in the lesser things, it does not change my core desire. And that is why I experience a lot of misery. So, at the point of conversion, you were given a new heart, you were given the heart of Christ. And you have a new desire. Secondly, you were given a new spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, which gives you the capacity to be congruent. You now have, again, I didn't say that you're using it. I said you now possess every single thing that you need for life and godliness. You possess, and it cannot ever be taken from you. No person, no circumstance, nothing can ever keep you from glorifying God in each and every moment that he chooses to give you. Now that is the new heart. And the new heart is what I'm going to call 
the instrument. Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything. The word heart here does not just mean emotions. It's actually a combination of emotions, <clears throat> thoughts, and choices. Um, <clears throat> what it's actually saying is it's the combination of thinking and feeling which results in behavior. But in our culture, we are a whole lot more interested in managing behavior than the deeper work of being aware of what's going on in our hearts, which is actually what's directing our behavior, because this is how it works. What you think creates how you feel. How you feel decides how you're going to behave. What you think creates how you feel. How you feel decides what it is that you're going to do. So transformation happens, not when we decide to white knuckle it and try to change our behavior. I get told this kind of thing a lot. So I, you know, I, I knew what I wanted to say to her, but I did it. I just shut my mouth, I just keep my mouth shut, and I just smiled like this. I just smiled like this. Okay, let me just say, um, that creates ulcers. <laughs> Not a changed life. Don't settle for changed behavior. Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Again, surrender to God is my greatest desire. And how that happens? Well, that's stated later in the exact same verse. Let God transform you. How? By changing the way you think. It's right there. I promise. That's Romans 12. I knew you wouldn't believe me. I knew you thought, oh, she uses one of those counselor Bibles. So you check that out. <laughs> it's there. Okay? So transformation happens by surrendering your mind, your mind to God, and your choices follow. By allowing him, then, what I'm talking about is allowing him to go through all of your thinking tapes with you, to hear what it is that you really are thinking clearly. By the way, that might surprise you. To repent of what it is that you keep playing over and over and over in your mind. And then finally, to replace those tapes. Even when doing so means that you go completely against your flesh at times. My 2018 resolutions included two renovations. Number one, a kitchen renovation. Number two, a brain renovation. <laughs> now both were very, very costly, both were very, very messy, and both are taking a whole lot longer than what I ever anticipated. But while my kitchen is going to have to be remodeled again, which I'm getting to the age now where I'm seeing trends happen, like I, I can't believe this, like my granite, which I already did replace, ended up in the dumpster. The granite that I remember when I chose it, just like when I chose my wedding dress, Princess Diana wedding dress, because it was classic, I thought. It was classic. My granite that I chose 15 years ago, classic. I decided there is no such thing 
as classic. It's going to get outdated, and you're going to redo it again, which is so incredibly depressing to me as I watched them rip that granite out and put it into the dumpster because I remember I was so confident that that St. Cecilia granite and that rubbed bronze, that would be in forever. So of course, now I've got the brass with the white marble and my daughter, I'm sure, within 15 years, what were you thinking? The same thing she says about my wedding dress. So... The one is going to have to be redone again and again and again. But the other changes in the way that we think have eternal impact. Not just in my life, but in generations to come. Whoever it is that I impact, the way that I decide to process is going to impact for generations to come. It's eternal. So I want you to think of your brain as a series of pathways. Each time you play a thought tape, you're going down a particular pathway. With time, what happens is that pathway becomes very deep, a rut, in fact. So deep that whenever you encounter a certain situation, you don't even have to consciously do it. Subconsciously, you pull up the tape. My mother-in-law asked me to lunch. Subconsciously, I say yes. Through her treat. I don't know how it happened, but next thing I know, I'm there at her table. <clears throat> Saying she made me do it. But that's another, that's another, um, I'm not going to go into that. Now you have to pay me to go there. But anyway. So the process then to reroute your brain is the exact same process as you got it there in the first place. Repetition over and over and over again. You can teach your brain new things. This is great. Here's a new word. Well, it's not too new, but it's cool. Neuroplasticity. And basically neuroplasticity, it's the new research now. It's hot. Everybody's talking about it. And what it basically means is you can teach an old dog new tricks, which to me is great, great news. It doesn't matter how old we are. Our brains continue to change all the way through adulthood, which we didn't think happened up until the last probably 30 to 40 years. We thought our brains were set, they're not. You can actually reroute your brain. And again, that process is repetition of the right thinking. Going back to spatial disorientation, you see when life throws you a curveball and you are in a tailspin, you are tempted to go by your own best thinking based upon what you see, what you feel. And the problem is that what you see and feel is actually the exact opposite of reality, just like spatial disorientation in the air. In Judges 6, the horizon had become very obscured for Gideon. The Midianites would come every fall for seven years and plunder the land of the Israelites. So Gideon was hiding out threshing wheat in the wine press, and the reason he was doing that is because he was trying to keep it from getting stolen once again. So, that's the opening. So I'm going to move into Judges 6. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Which is curious, because you see what he's doing there is he's speaking what is, not what is seen. 
right there. Uh, pardon me, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, and I know you can't relate to this, because I know you would never talk to God like this. Pardon me. <laughs> but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to this us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see what's happened there? is he has lost his horizon. This keeps happening over and over and over again, he said. So, so I think that this is what reality is. The Lord answered. Oh, sorry, right before that. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Once again, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Where is Gideon's focus? On himself. And what he's saying is, is pretty accurate. If he's looking at himself, he has a bad self-image. He's right. You know that? I don't know why we keep trying to cure bad self-images. What do you think total depravity means? <laughs> He's right. He's right. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. See, he didn't cure his low self-image, did he? He also didn't change the situation. He reoriented Gideon by changing his thinking. Here's how it worked with Midian. If we were to chart Midian out, what was the situation? The situation was that the Midianites were about to attack, draw an arrow. What was, what was Gideon's thinking about the situation? What was his take? This might sound a little familiar to you. I am alone, God is the enemy, and I am not up to this. One of those two is true. Because he played that tape, drawn arrow, what was he feeling? Fear. Tremendous fear. Does that make sense? Was his fear wrong? Should we shame him about that fear? No, because it makes every bit of sense. Based upon what he's thinking, his feelings are extremely accurate, I'd say. Now, what is that fear going to cause him to do? What, what, how is he acting out? Well, he's acting out by living small. Living very, very small. And basically just saying, let's just try to get by. Forget what the promises are, because for some reason, I don't know whose fault it is, his, mine, but it ain't going to happen. So let's just try to get by. Can you relate to that? Do you play that same tape? Are you living small based upon your assumption of what you can do? Now that part, I'm going to go ahead and tell you because, you know, I'm a counselor and everything. You're right. If it is about you, you're in big trouble. Yes. 
please stop telling children otherwise. Because they're right. If it's about us, we're in trouble. The good news is, thank God, it is not up to you. Oh, but wait a minute, that brings us up to his other problem. God is absent. God has abandoned him. So you see, that's exactly what that angel went after. You reorient Gideon. Not by scolding his feelings. Now that was wrong. You should have more faith. Feel guilty about that. Let's sit around and examine our feelings for a while. <clears throat> That's pointless. <laughs> feelings are indicator lights. They're incredibly important. Imagine driving down an expressway at 70 miles an hour. All you've got is headlights on, but you have absolutely no dashboard lights. That's very, very dangerous, is it not? Imagine if your indicator light went on, and you went to the mechanic and you said, my indicator light's on and it's green. It should be blue. I don't like green. It should be blue. Would you change it? The mechanic's going to think, what is, I think something else is wrong with you. Because the point isn't the color of the indicator light. The point is what the indicator light is telling you. You see, we pay a lot of attention to our feelings, whether or not they're right or wrong. And we evaluate our feelings. We need to stop evaluating our feelings. That's a waste of time. Ask yourself, what are the feelings telling you? That is what is right or wrong. But again, Gideon's feelings, they weren't wrong. Based upon his thinking, his feelings were very, very accurate. So let's not spend time evaluating feelings because it keeps us from doing the deeper work. Right before I began feeling that, what was I thinking? And listen to that. Now, I want to get personal about it. <clears throat> Not for me, for you. <laughs> I want you to think of your last time when you were, um, you were threshing wheat in your wine press, when you were hiding out, when you were living small, when you had surmised the situation and you were not up to it, and you were alone. Do you remember that? Do you remember those feelings? Now, right before you started feeling that, what were you thinking? What were you thinking about you, more importantly? What were you thinking about God? Oh, I know. You're going to say, I wasn't thinking about God. And that's the definition of a rut. You see, of course you were thinking about God. Yes, you were. I promise you, you were. But you've been doing it so often and so fast that the enemy has made it to where you're not listening to what you're thinking. So it is growing, and you're moving off of it. And that's what happens when I talk to men and women in the church. Honest to goodness, so many of the time, I think it would be a lot easier to teach someone who was not as well-churched as we are. Because we think we think something. When in fact, you might be thinking it, but that woman, the one that's sitting in the, in the um, wine press, she is not thinking the same thing you're thinking. She's thinking something quite different about God. It's just not the same thing that we tend to talk about, like at lunches like this. 
So what I tend to do with clients is I teach my clients, look at your life, watch what you're doing. I know what you believe. I know, I know. Especially when we're at a place like this. I know, right? But no, I'm talking about when you get back in the car and you try to start it and it won't start or worse. Okay, they, or you do something. No, 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 no. Let's do a jilly moment. You, it does start. You back the car up, right? Up and over a median and you get stuck on the median. These kinds of things. <laughs> this is the bad thing is people think I make things up. I don't. My life just always provides a ton of stories like that. <laughs> so automatically, see, I'm here talking to you about Jesus being my righteousness. Can I just tell you? Out there, when I'm up on the median, Jesus is not my righteousness at that moment. At that moment, what's going through my head is, I look like such an idiot. Everybody's going to think like I'm such an idiot. And in fact, that would be absolutely accurate. Then I go into the, the beat up process. Why don't you slow down? If you would just slow down and pay more attention, if you weren't always running late, you wouldn't be running up on top of medians like this. And then the beat up starts. you understand what I'm saying? When my life is in a tailspin, I need to turn up the volume then of what I'm thinking. Because to tell myself, now stop it. Don't be upset that you're sitting up on top of a medium. <laughs> it's just ridiculous that you feel ashamed of that. No. Based off of my thinking, it's not ridiculous at all. So what I want you to do is turn that volume up. Because like I say, you're going to hear a rendition of I am alone and I am not up to this. Over and over and over again. In order to reorient, we have to hear it we have to repent of it. You have to talk back to your brain. And again, that to me is like saying, Julie, you're a size five true blonde, but I am saying that is exactly the way your brain is transformed. What does the scripture say? Not what do my circumstances say? What does the scripture say? And going by what the instruments say, can I just tell you, is terrifying. Terrifying. It is not some Shekinah glory whoosh of peace that rubs over me and suddenly I'm a congruent woman. No. I imagine it would be just like flying up in an airplane, having solid white all around me, being able to see nothing, but knowing, knowing, knowing that I am going down. But when I look at the instruments, the instruments are saying, you're going up, and I have a choice. Am I going to go by what I see and what I feel, or am I going to go by the instruments? Now let me just tell you, I don't believe that our faith gets bigger when we're looking at the instruments. I actually think, for, I, don't, I don't know about you, but for me, <clears throat> and this is happening more and more as I'm getting older, um, I don't know that my trust in the instruments has grown as much as my lack of trust in myself. That much I'm beginning to learn. In other words, trusting myself 
it ain't working for me. Over and over and over again, when I am, I am convinced that I'm right this time. This time, this time, I'm so sorry, I'm right. My husband says about me, Julie is often wrong, but always sure. <laughs> As a daughter of Christ, we must become much less sure of ourselves. And I know you said, oh, believe me, I am unsure of myself. Oh, I am. Uh -huh. And you feel really bad about that because of that? You're living small? Well, let me just tell you, you need to repent of your arrogance. No, 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 no. Didn't you understand what I just said? You're not like a counselor or something. I just said I don't feel good about myself. That's why I'm living small. Yes, repent of your arrogance. Because you see, the point is still you. I have no argument. I agree with you. You're a total screw up. Well, I don't know you, so I'm just, like, I didn't mean to look at anybody directly. He's <laughs> talking about the human condition. Yes. I am not going to waste my time trying to make you feel better about what you see. I'm going to encourage you to go with what you know. What does the word say? So you had best be well acquainted with that. Don't get the manual out when you're in a nosedive. The word is something we have to take in and take in and take in and take in. And see, the, the thing about that too is, is everybody thinks, oh, and every time I have a quiet time, read the scripture, oh, it just goes in and mm, makes me feel so good. That isn't the way it is for me most of the time. Most of the time for me, being in the word is like pushing a seed down into soil. I don't see it growing, but I keep watering it. And something's happening down there that I don't see. And you know how I know that? Because the scripture says it. Something changes in me when I apply my mind to good teaching. When I get up underneath teaching and I get into the word faithfully, it changes my head in ways that I didn't even know that was happening until all of a sudden, whoop, oh my goodness, there's a little spring that just came up out of the ground. Where did that happen? How'd that happen? Have you ever had that happen? That's the way change happens. You keep applying the word. When you're in the nosedive, that's when you're going to be hearing it. But again, when you're going to be hearing it, you're going to be saying, I don't think so. Turn the other cheek. No. God is sovereign. He needs a little bit of help from me on this one. He is present. Then why? And that's when you play this tape, which has two phrases. Number one, he is in this. He is in this. Whatever the this is. You know Romans 8.28. He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Don't rewrite that. 
He causes all things to work for the good as long as you've been faithful, responsible, and made good choices. Those things, that's the stuff that he's good. No. What he says in this verse is that he causes all things, which includes your bad decisions and those made against you and those things that you have done to others. Please don't hear me say that you are not responsible for each and every decision. But your decisions did not rewrite your story nor anyone else's story. Where was God when you married the wrong man? Where was he? Was he wringing his hands off in the corner going, oh, I can't believe, oh, I tried so hard. I tried, I sent her that book. Listen. Or has he got his arms folded? Oh yeah, okay, fine. You wanna play it this way? We'll play it this way. Yeah, I'll let you marry that man. You go right on ahead, Missy. You see, that's your view of God. Where was he? You know when you did the wrong thing? He was there. Not only was he there, but he already knew before it happened that it was going to happen. And not only did he already know that it was going to happen, but he already said, I'm going to wrap this in to what I'm already doing. Don't hear me say, and then you're going to understand it and everything will be all better because there are things that I don't believe I'm ever going to ever, ever, ever understand this side of heaven. Ever. But my base core theology, that God is big, that God is sovereign, and that God loves me, forms the way that I view my world. And it causes me to see him in my darkest, darkest moments. Why? Because the instruments tell me he is in there. Look. Look. What is he doing? Where is he? Do not ask, what should I do now? Do not help your friend when she's in the nosedive. Answer the question, what do you do now? Switch the question up. What is he doing? And join him, as Blackaby says, in that. And two, he is in me. Second Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given to us all things needed for life and godliness. I know, right? You're a size 5 true blonde, although I see some of you out there. <laughs> Those little chicks are going, what's she talking about? What's she talking about? I'm a size 5 blonde my entire life. When I was 5 years old, I was not a size 5 true blonde. <laughs> he is saying, it is in there. He said it. I didn't say it. He said it. I didn't say I saw it. I said he said it. It is in there. And you know how you're going to know? Move. As if it were. And you know how that's going to feel? Like death. Like jumping off a cliff. But pretty much the reason you're doing it is because you don't have any other option. <laughs> you have finally begun to get it. He is in this, and he is in me. 
And he has given me all things needed for life and godliness. Through what? Turning harder? Going to a good counselor? Reading the right book? Making good choices? Mm -mm. Through the knowledge of him. How could it be that simple? But it is. It really is that simple. He is in this. And he has already given me every single thing I need to do what it is that I most deeply desire, which is what? To glorify him in this that he has allowed and he has given me everything I need to do just that and no one and nothing can take that from me and when you begin to gaze at that you pull out of the nosedive when I say pull out of the nosedive what I mean is that you stabilize I do not mean that you move on to Shekinah glory happiness Everything lifts and you feel so much better. That is not what good thinking is to be about. Although it generally does cause you to feel better, that's not why I encourage men and women to do it. I encourage men and women to do it. Because it is only when you are thinking correctly that you can do what you are really called to do. Because when I am in the crazy zone, I will live small or... Actually, I tend to go the other way, and that's live very, very large in ways that I don't wish to live. And I get there every single time by believing that I'm alone and I don't have what it takes. Again, half of which is true. So it's now, I think, 1210, but I don't know because I got this really great watch. Um, it's so cute. And the problem with this watch is um, it, it stops. But I never know when it stops. Because it doesn't stop. It just goes really, really slow. And so I thought, oh, no. It seems like each time I'm looking down, it says the same time. But she said that she was going to start jumping up and down. And she's not. Although I really do want to start talking really slow just to make her do that. Um, Okay, so it's 10 after, and I'm not going to open up the floor for questions, because who would do that? <laughs> what I'm going to do is sell books, eat lunch, and leave. And I'll see you again. Until the next time, I get to come to one of these. <laughs>